Hello, this is Movies IMO with your favorite film fags. I'm Brandon Kirby. I'm Ben Empey. I'm Daniel Crook. And on today's episode, we are discussing Sean Baker's new film, The Florida Project. Um, and we're going to attempt to discuss the theme movies about children but are for adults. We stay relatively on on task. Any tangent is a good tangent, if you ask me. I think it was a great episode. And I hope you all enjoy. Our first episode officially went live today. Hell yeah. Which will be a week from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When Last this, Monday. This, is, this will air next Monday. Yeah. So the first episode and the second episode will be live by the time you're hearing this. How exciting. And we might be on iTunes, too. Hopefully, that would iTunes be great. will approve us by then. I loved our amateur. Uh, we had a bungled beginning. launch. Bungled launch. There you go. You know what? None of the rides worked at Disneyland the day it opened, and that's relevant for today's discussion of the Florida Project. Ooh, it is. And it's a true story. You can follow us on Twitter. Aside from our personal handles, you can also follow Movies IMO. It's just mo- at Movies IMO. That's correct. We don't um, follow anyone yet, but we need to like work on that. Like, curate some some good people to follow. Yeah, you just follow you follow the people you follow regularly. Hell yeah! On your personal accounts. Nice team follow back. Follow TJ Slipko, who Aww. wanted us to discuss Speed Two Cruise Control. So I'm bringing it up. <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah. When Keanu wins his Oscar. Oh. He'll get an honorary Oscar in 20 more years. Probably, yeah. and not just for his yeah, acting, but no, for his for sure. fight choreography as yeah, well. absolutely. And his attitude, and the way he eats a sandwich on a park bench. How does he eat a sandwich on a park bench? It's the whole sad Keanu meme. He is mm. oh, helping yeah, yeah, himself. Yeah. I recall. Dreadfully. I recall. Alright, so we're going to dive into this episode. Uh, we hope you enjoy. Team Brooklyn Prince. Okay, shut up! (laughs) (laughs) And on today's episode, we're talking about The Florida Project. The new film from Tangerine director Sean Baker. In theaters now. Um, I I love this film. It is, it's my number one movie of the year. If I'm, as long as I'm not thinking about Faces Places. Like, really (laughs) hard. And then Faces Places is my number one. So, this movie is about children living in low-income families in, like, motels right outside Disneyland. So, it's a film about children. A world. Disney world. Although, Disneyland also has its fair share of poverty-stricken families and communities living just on the other side of the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie, we assume they're, like, what, half a mile? Like, kind of down the street. But literally on the other side of the Disneyland wall... There are families living just like this, you know, I don't know, 25 miles from where we are now? Yeah. It's not important. I mean, it's an important issue. No, it is. Distance itself is not important, is what I'm saying. Right. Off to a great start. Off to a great start. Um, So the theme that we're going to (laughs) try to follow this episode is films about children that are for, or young people, that are for adults. That's correct, Brandon. That is indeed the thesis. <laughs> Let's see how close we stick to that. Mm. Um, let's um, we did we did this off mic, but let's uh, tag ourselves the three the three protagonists. God, what are their names? Okay, let's pull this. Mooney, Jancy, and Scooty. Scooty sitting right here. I'm a bit of a Scooty. You're a bit of a Scooty. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, for a number of reasons, one being that as a child, I'm pretty sure my mom wouldn't let me hang out with certain kids. <laughs> so I felt very close to Scooty's arc on that point. Yeah. I would also like to say, I think you're pretty impressionable. And I think that Scooty is pretty impressionable. Yeah. Cause he goes along with Mooney shit. <laughs> Great. So I, 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 so I would jump is what you're saying. Yeah. You would burn down the condo. <sighs> I, I agree. <laughs> I would agree. I am. It's too early to feel this attacked. <laughs> Sorry, I'm definitely a Jancy because I'm the one who just like goes along with things. And I'm just like <laughs> I thought that's why I'm a Scooty. Scooty, I think Jancy's more Jancy's passive. Just an observer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. You, you get roped into things and then act on them. I that's tell exactly you right. to do things and you do them. <laughs> I'm the observer. I, I, I ask you because I want validation I on the choice I'm already up. going to make. Mm. I don't know if that's always true. Okay. Well, I think it's safe to say Ben is Mooney. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting way too personal. Way too quick. Mooney um, is the shitster. She's the one spilling the ice cream. She's the one... I'm loud. Loud. Just being loud. I always know when people are about to cry. Ah, uh, that scene. But then by the end, at the end of the day, you are the cry. I want to cry. So does that mean... What's, what's our version of me seeing you in a moment of weakness dragging you to Disney World? What is the... In, in your dreams. Because that moment well, doesn't actually happen, right? One time I was like really emotional when we went to act. We did. What? <laughs> so it actually didn't happen. Oh, it didn't I'm happen? Just, I'm just saying words. Oh. It could happen. It could happen. We have gone to Akbar, but not because I was crying. But it could happen. Mm-hmm. Just tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. We'll make you meet us at Akbar. You, I mean, I'd be happy to meet you at Akbar whenever you want. You come. Wait. <laughs> I'm going to go what, to what you said. You don't think that moment happens. No, um, there's a number of reasons why the finale of the film is fantasy. Yes, and I agree. One is that it's the first time there's any score in the film. It's the, yep. any, any music cue apart from the celebration song playing over the credits. And I think by, that, the, by the celebration song, I mean celebration. Mm-hmm. And that I think that song even plays at the start of, or at least it's it's kind of in there in that final. I I, I don't know. But it's the only time apart from the, the credit sequence, which is inherently filmic. So we're jumping out of reality to see. Mm-hmm titles placed against the purple backdrop of the hotel right and then we have this very stirring type of music playing as they are running and we also switch from film to what i assume it's obviously digital right. because it's sean baker i sort of assume it's an iphone um yeah and then thirdly there's no way they could have gotten into disney world <laughs> um there's no way they could have gotten into Disney World. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, so did it's, we it's, see them jump the gate? No. No. I mean, and they wouldn't have known to jump the gate. I'm not sure that they've even actually been to the gates before. Right. Yeah. You know? like that's, No, you're right. I, that's interesting. I. It's funny, because I hadn't even put that together, that that's clearly... That clearly didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... And it, and it doesn't even leave you on a happy note, because, to me anyway, it was really obvious that it wasn't... Or, that's rude. But I mean, is. <laughs> you're a dumbass yeah. and you didn't notice that's not that. what I'm saying and I that's definitely not what I'm saying but it was such a disruption of the rhythms and the visual look of yeah. the film up to yeah. that point that I felt a break in the reality yeah and it doesn't so much offer a hopeful note at, well yeah it offers a it offers mm. a note of potential growth in it's, the future it's definitely bittersweet yeah, it's, because the reality of the situation is that that the police Mooney's... the police probably found her next door or Jancy's grandma right. walked her right back to the hotel and then she ends up at this family's yeah, house Mooney's... for a while and yeah. maybe maybe Mooney and Haley reunited later on a few years later or right. a few months later maybe Haley was able to find access to opportunity that would allow her to get her shit together but. That's not what the movie needs to focus on. At this point, we know what's going to happen. They're going to be divorced from one another. It's very emotional. Yeah. So we're given this fantastical moment that both feeds into the imagination of the kids that we've seen throughout the film and offers a grace note of potential reconciliation. That moment is the the perfect marriage of whimsy and harsh reality, which is what the whole movie is. I don't think there is any hope in the ending. In my, I feel like it is just a representation of that there is this happy fantasy that's so close. It's so close, but they can't get there. Yeah. And like, the obviously that's where her mind is going to go when she's trying to get out of this horrible situation. And I just feel like it doesn't actually speak to any actual hope. So I guess I'm an optimist on that because it is her best case scenario in her head. I would say that it's slightly hopeful because... We don't know what's going to happen right. with between her and Haley, but I don't think that the film is so cynical that it's drawing a dissonance between the harsh reality of the characters and their situations before, and then rubbing your nose in the fact that their life is shit. I don't think that the film is that cold-hearted either. It's not. I think no. it just speaks to our worldviews and how yeah, we I, the film. Yeah, you're open to it. Inter- I mean, look at me. I fucking didn't think that that was obviously not 
reality until you said it just now. I was like, oh shit, of course they, of course now. But so maybe I'm in that way. I'm well, the it, most it, hopeful. It strikes at your heart. That, you want everything to be. You okay. want it to be real. You but want even, you want them to live in the Magic Kingdom, not in the Mo- Magic Kingdom Motel. Well, even them, even even in my mind, them somehow miraculously getting to the castle in Disney World, like that's still even if that were the case, which is definitely not. That's still not a hopeful ending, because because she eventually they don't, they're not going to live there. They're going to go right. back. They're going to exactly. Jancy's going to go back to her mom. Mooney's going to get found out, and she's going to go to live with some family who's not Haley. Yeah, that's right. a that's a great point as well. The only reason I say hopeful is because we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and like I said, I don't think that Sean Baker is having this moment of escape and triumph in order to underline that life is hopeless. Because what we've learned throughout the entire film is that there is magic in the cracks of hard reality. Yeah. If we can reverse, like, a couple of minutes probably now, when Ben was offering his own analysis on this ending, you basically were striking at the idea of life through Mooney's eyes. Mm-hmm. And that is the whole movie. It's a, it's a child's eye view of uh, a life that is certainly worn by unfortunate economic circumstances, but also offers... I mean, the movie is bursting with wondrous imagination at the seams. It's shot from a child's vantage point. Mm-hmm. And how do you guys think that that informs the story that we're seeing, given the harsh economic realities if, if, of the film? Yeah, if, if, if it was from the perspective of, let's say, Haley the whole time, it would be a fucking depressing-ass movie. It would I think s- it'd actually be a lot of fun <laughs> until the end. It would... I don't know. It would be... A, I guess it Until would, the third act. It would be yeah. closer to Tangerine, but even, like... Also, Haley's not that... I like Haley as a character, but she's not as compelling as, like, the protagonist of, like, Tangerine. She's not as, like, uproarious or funny. She's just kind of, like, living her day-to-day life. So if you're following her, it's just, like, depressive, like, oh, yeah. it's a bummer. But, like, Mooney... Like vibrant, brimming with life, with so much life, and that improvise. I'm assuming it's improvised. That scene where it's the super close up of her just eating, eating. and she it's wishes the best, it's forks, the best shot in the whole movie. The forks were made out of candy. candy, so then you could just eat the fork. Ah, so when we were when we all went to El Coyote a few weeks ago, and Ben and I had just seen the movie together, and we wanted to talk about it, and you hadn't seen it, uh-huh. and I was fuming. <laughs> yeah, that was how the, I was fuming. That was the <laughs> one thing that I wanted to talk about was how beautiful that close up is in that series of improvised, mm-hmm. we assume, moments. Yeah, and for me, that whole last chapter when Haley takes her gallivanting, dancing in the rain, and then to this all-you-can-eat brunch, she knows. That it's over. She knows this is their last day together for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I find so moving about it. Mm -hmm. Um, A switch turns in Haley, and you can see it. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not a growing up moment in that she's going to turn her life around, but you see her taking accountability um, for some of the choices that she has made in order to feed her daughter. Um, But Haley is an intriguing character because not only is she trying her best, but she loves her daughter. Mm Mm-hmm. More than anything, right? Yeah. She's not a bad person. She's no. not no. She's not even a bad mom. And yet at the same time, she's making choices that are endangering the safety of her child. Okay. Yeah. But it's more because of the circumstances of her life and the advantages that have not been given to her. Like, n- no one's no one's waving, um, no one's waving, like, a job opportunity around for her. What else is she going to do? Right. But... I think the most important thing herself. about it being about Mooney, and mm-hmm. from Mooney's point of view, is that Mooney doesn't know any better yet. If you tell the story from Haley's point of view, Haley does know better by that point. She knows what other people have, and she doesn't. She knows, like, where she is in the world. And it would be, that would be such a bleaker situation, especially than Tangerine, because it feels like... In Tangerine, they are striving for something. The thing is, we just don't know what is Haley striving for, if she is for anything. Yeah. Or is she just working day to day to raise her daughter and live her life? But we don't get a glimpse into that because Mooney doesn't know. Right. So I just think it's important. Like, yes, maybe it could be a similar film if it was from Haley's point of view, but we don't know what Haley's movie is. It wouldn't be similar at all. Are you saying that because of what I said earlier? That it would yeah. be fun? No, yeah. it, w- it would be nothing like this movie. Right. Um, and you articulated that really well. 
And I think that it's important that we see the story from Mooney's perspective because she's being influenced by Haley's own perspective. Mm -hmm. And there's that great shot in the beginning when she's speaking with um, a welfare worker, maybe, talking about getting the free bus passes. Right. And we have a close-up on Haley where the right side of the frame in the foreground is her face, and in the background of the left side of the frame is Mooney playing around with whatever's in the office. And they're both in focus. It almost looks like a Brian De Palma shot. With like she's the not in, blow Haley's up. not in focus. Oh, it's the other way around. I have, like, notes about that. And oh, great. Well, I hate when someone out of focus is in front, and they're, and then because... Oh, so you don't like that shot? No, because I, because... Even though like, her her mouth is speaking directly to Mooney's face? Yeah, it's a problem, because... I hate when my eye immediately is drawn to the out of focus thing, and because she's in front, I am. And I'm not saying that everyone is, but that literally every time that shot is used in a movie, I hate it. Even when it speaks to a yeah, really essential hate, idea I in the movie, I hate to look at it. Hate to look at. It should something. be uncomfortable. I think it's a. I think it's ugly, and I think it. It because it doesn't work for me. I think it's a beautifully articulated visual statement in the way that one awful. character impacts another. <laughs> I, I think that it's so I any, think it's the entire relationship in one shot. So anything it. that's in the foreground that's if it's in blur, the foreground not and in focus, blurry, then and it's clearly in that person is doing something, you're you're drawn to it and I think that's an issue. That bothers So in me. that shot you're saying Mooney should have been in front in focus and she should have been out yeah. of focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Haley was in the background, that would be better for me. Yeah. I want to talk about Willem Dafoe. Which he gives definitely like my top three like favorite performances so far this year. Oh, absolutely! He's played Jesus, and now he's playing God. <laughs> he's wow. like, oh wow! He's like, just so he's just so he's just trying to live his life, mm-hmm. and just so kind. And that moment where he he knows that what Haley is doing is like not wrong, but like not great. But that guy comes asking for the wristbands back. And the way he spins that situation... I know that's in the writing, but it's also in... But that's... Willem Dafoe's tone and delivery. Totally. And that performance, you really believe it when you understand... You really believe that he's at the end of his rope with her at that point. Because yeah. she is making a decision that is endangering her child. And he has seen that maybe she's doing But he's doing still things. protecting her. Which yeah. I like. Yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, he's he's... The judge, he's the jury, but he's never the executioner yeah. with Haley or with any of the other tenants. Yeah. And he's also a surrogate father to Mooney as well, or a grandfather, I guess. Yeah, how old is he supposed to be? How old is old. he? Old. <laughs> he's getting old. I still think he's so sexy. He looks good. I have such I don't a even know how old he phone. is. Should I Google it? No, no. He's probably Google like it. 60. Yeah. 60. He looks great. Because he's probably like 30 when The Last Invasion of Christ was made. Yeah. So. I love the... Um, I the pedophile scene. It was so harrowing. Yeah. And it was at that point in the movie I was watching, I was like, there hasn't been a plot yet. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so interesting. Like, I don't know how far into that movie, into the movie that point is, but I remember actively thinking, there's no plot. But then once the plot kicks in, it really kicks in. So how would you define the plot that's kicking in? The plot that kicks in is, I think, Haley running out of options and turning to... It's when she takes those bathing suit shots, mm. and you know what's happening. She's starting to. Well, I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful. What is a prostitute? It's not prostitute. Is it prostitute? Sex work. Sex work. Th- thank thank, thank you. you, Ben. Thank you. Um, yeah. So she enters sex work because that's the only way she can fucking keep a roof over her and Mooney's head. So that's when the plot kicked in for me, mm-hmm. um, and which leads to inevitably her getting you know kicked out, whatever, whatever. This what we're talking about. Um, Haley transitioning into sex work, I think it's important to talk about the empathy that Sean Baker has for his characters. Yeah. Because this is a decision that is inevitable to a certain extent because if she's going to keep a roof over her head or, as I said earlier, feed her daughter, this is the option she's got. Um, At the same time, we understand that this is endangering Mooney's safety. Not, Not the work itself, but bringing in strangers into the house. And... The film sides with her completely while mm-hmm. also understanding that this isn't great for Mooney. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked a lot about And that's empathy. a really nuanced thing to express in a movie, I feel. Totally. And that's totally Sean Baker. Like, 
He did the same thing in Tangerine. He I haven't seen his older movies, but I need to. Gotta but, watch Starlet. Yes. Yeah, yes. I've only seen Tangerine also. Um but yeah, we talked a lot about empathy with Faces Places, but yeah, it, and I think we brought up Florida Project too. But I've actually been trying not to talk about empathy because we talked so much about it in Faces Let's Places. Bring it up. But it is like the paint it that is. this movie is brushed with, right? You have to. We have to. Yeah. Open that door. Yeah. It's just so I love empathy in movies. Not in real life, but <laughs> in movies it's wonderful. Yeah. And you you talked about Wonderstruck having empathy. We we'll get there. We'll get there. Once we've all seen it. Once we have a whole have Todd Haynes episode coming up. I think it's the next episode. It's the next episode. Nice. <laughs> a Todd Haynes retrospective. Nice, baby. Nice. A Carol Cell, if you will. Uh, mm. Yeah, so empathy. I love empathy. Okay, so, we can we can dig a little deeper. Than that. <laughs> I, mean, just, I love empathy. I, I, I know it's a late, but we can dig a little bit I deeper. I would like than to that. talk about uh, the topless woman. I love oh, Gloria. That's her name? Mm-hmm. I don't even remember. Gloria. Just in relation to empathy, she feels like a fully fledged character. She's there for 30 seconds. Totally. And I just feel like I know who this is, and I love her, and I want her to continue sunbathing topless. I love her next scene, which is barely a scene, but she's sitting outside Bobby Willem Defoe's office when all the tenants are watching the condo burn down, I believe mm. is when it happens. And he asks for a cigarette from her, and she says, for you. Joking that she's not going to give him one, and it's just this perfect grace note to the yeah. way that it was sketched previously in the scene you're talking about. Yeah. I love, I, I don't want to get too far away from the topic at hand, but I don't know if we're going to get a chance to talk about that beautiful shot of the kids running to spy on um, Gloria oh, yeah. in the pool. And it's just a simple camera, camera movement, going from right to left. But because it begins with him at the opposite side of the motel, running up the stairs and then running alongside um, in front of the barrier or mm-hmm. whatever, and yeah. then we just track them along. But obviously, based on where the camera is positioned, the kids become closer to us. Mm-hmm. So it right. feels like a zoom, but it's just a simple right to left camera move. Right. It's just a pan. Yeah. It is a flash in the pan, but not in the way that phrase usually means. <laughs> Flashes in a firework of visual artistry. Wow. Um, my favorite shot was the wide, not my favorite shot, there's so many good shots in this movie, but one that stands out right now is the, the wide, the, of the whole complex, the power goes out. Oh, yeah. And I don't, you know, how he choreographed when the door, when doors were opening, right. when people would come out and be like, what the fuck's going on? It made on? me think of Avenue Q. I haven't actually seen it. I haven't I only seen Avenue Q. Oh, I mean, the set is... I'm surprised, first of all. Um, but the I don't set, see many Broadway shows. This was like in 2003 or whatever, I guess. But the set itself is just the facade, the exterior of an apartment building. And there's a lot of fun with the choreography opening. where they're opening the windows and the doors. Anyway, I just love that. I didn't, I, I didn't mean to get in the way of what you were saying, Brandon. I just thought we all would have seen Avenue Q. No, I don't know. If you thought... It sucks to be me. I know the songs. Everybody watches porn. What's it called? Everyone loves porn. The internet is for porn. Thank you. Oh, and everybody's a little bit racist. Yes. Those are the two I know. Anyway, whatever. Um, and oops, Ben dropped the cork for the wine, ladies no, and gentlemen. I need to listen to oh. "I Wish I Could Go Back to College" because mm. I actually haven't heard that song since I left college, and <laughs> I think it might speak to me in an uncomfortable way at the moment, <laughs> but an essential way. Um, do we want to move on from Florida Project, or are we still want to talk about Florida Project? For a for a project, I think we have more to say. I definitely have more to say. All right, let's get it going. I don't know what. I don't know what with. though. I. Well, let's, I, want, I do want to go back to... Oh, I know what to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have something to say. Me! <laughs> what do we think about Willem Dafoe's son? Oh, right. I knew you were going to bring okay. that up. <laughs> so, Spoiler alert, Ben doesn't think it works. It's not we, that I don't we think talked it about works, this after we saw the movie. that I don't think it's necessary, and I would have cut it. It's Can the, I... It's the only, well, go ahead. Sorry. So, just, just quickly, I was... While the scene was unfolding, I was... Going back and forth, I might have missed a detail in the scene, I might admit, but I will admit, but I thought he might have been his younger lover for like oh, a half a second. I love that. I, because the dynamic was interesting. I thought it was like him helping out, his young, like he's sure. gonna fuck him. I, Willem Dafoe or Willem Dafak? It's yeah. It's a central question that I grapple with personally all the time. Yeah, like, it, but then, but then once the scene concluded, I landed on it being his son. And the fact that the son never comes back, Ben, I agree with you. I think it could have been cut. So, 
because the movie is the two re- hours long. Yeah, doesn't feel is that. It's not even really? about length, but it is a full two. It's two hours. Oh wow! Which it kinda, it doesn't feel it, that. It flew long. by for me both times I saw it. I, I just watched. really like the notion of seeing Bobby only in relation to his tenants. That is what I was going to ask. Yeah. If, if you want to, if you want to get any idea of him outside of that, yeah. I don't think it's ever so explicit that it feels like a ham-fisted attempt to shade in between the lines of his character. Right. Um, it works for me because we see a whole other side to him, and that's that character throughout. He is a father. He is a disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. He is a co-worker like he is a friend to Mooney at times and he sort of tag, uh, toggles rather between um, taking care of business and being a friend and this provided an interesting shade and also felt in line with the character because like I said we're constantly seeing new facets of this character based on how he um, you know relates and speaks to other characters yeah. yeah and so this was just a this is just a family shade and it's also the only time and perhaps, Ben, this is what you were saying that you don't like, but it's the only time we see Bobby, apart from when he's at the computer, when Mooney is about to disrupt him in some way. It's the only time we see him on his own. I know it's not literally the only thing that's not in Mooney's point of view in the film. Right. We see Scooty and his mom away from other people, but that is, like, directly related to Mooney. We see Haley too, in yeah. a great scene at the pool with Scooty's mom. That's right. But I feel like the Bobby and his son scenes are just, like, one extra step removed from Mooney mm-hmm. that takes me a little bit out of the movie. That's fair. Okay. It took me out of that. I mean, yeah, I was thinking about, are I they think, lovers? I think that's <laughs> fair. I, I really love the moment when he and his son, played by Caleb Landry-Jones, are moving the busted ice maker yeah. into the elevator, and he says that, or in Caleb Landry-Jones' character, the son, tells Bobby that he wished his mom a happy birthday on his behalf, and Bobby buckles against that. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about, and then, and then, sorry, and, and then immediately after, the son starts starts talking about how he doesn't need to be there. He's just doing his dad a favor. So you get the idea that he pities his dad in some way. Mm-hmm. So for me, there's a whole other story there about Bobby being married with this son, and then things go wrong, and then he ends up finding work and a career as the manager of this motel. It sort of explains why Bobby got to where he is, mm-hmm. and I certainly can understand why that feels extraneous to you, but I. It moved me. It moved me. I was moved. Yeah, I, I was moved a lot in this movie. It was nice to cry about something that wasn't the reasons why I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a fun change. Yeah. That's why um, I go to the movies. <laughs> what's interesting is that I did, I never all out cried, even at the ending. I was only like sort of welling up. And I was like wondering to myself, do I have no soul? I don't think. I didn't I think that's weep. right. You like I, were weeping. You wept both times you saw it. Oh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I already knew it was coming. So Ben can be my witness here. I mean, I had tears streaming down my face and then dripping off my chin. Like I was yeah. very emotional, and it took me. It took me the entire credits afterwards to get myself back together. But then I just saw it again before we were recording now, and I was crying again, but I knew what was to be expected, right. but mm-hmm. I still feel pretty raw about it. Um, I think if I saw it a second time, I would, I would all out cry, but, but the first time it was, I think I was just so in awe, and like that last, when she's at the door with Jancy crying, I started to well up, yeah. but once at the end, once they was zipping into Disney World, mm-hmm. then I was just more just like in awe. And I want to ask you guys, in your theater and the two times you saw it the one time you saw it were people audibly annoyed by the ending they were yeah. today but i don't remember that when we no, watched just it the, the old time. people next to oh, us to, well just the, didn't like the, the old people to my left didn't have any empathy for these people the first time that mooney started cursing i could hear them murmuring to one another about how disgusting mm-hmm. the movie was which is basically like I don't respect people who live in situations yeah. where oh, fuck off. decorum isn't quite, um, it's not a privilege that you might have, right. um, to put it in a really crass way. But in your second but, screening, you... I, I heard some, that's it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, in mine, I told you guys this off mic, but I'm gonna tell the story. After it ended, I mean, I will agree, it was an abrupt ending. I think it works brilliantly, but the girls behind me were like, starting to rumble like oh, what what and then the girl just like belts out she was like that was the most abrupt ending <laughs> i've ever seen which is like i mean maybe accurate but also probably have not. you seen cachet <laughs> oh yeah there you go 
Yeah, it was just like, and then there was other rumblings. Oh, and then I had some two straight bros walking out of it, just just shocked and like reeling that they that the movie had made them cry. They were moved. Well, they when, were moved. When they you were surprised sp- at their own emotions. When you spend enough time in Mooney's point of view, and then you watch her world crumbling around her, that should make you cry. Yeah, even or straight I mean, bros. Or Brandon, it should just make you emotional at the very least, right? Thank you so much. I have no soul. But I, cri- I didn't cry. So I cried. Okay. Well, you don't have a soul. I know. <laughs> at a point, when I, I when I say I'm crying, I mean I've welled up with tears. That's my definition of like full crying. There are times a movie. That's why I'm like, what the fuck? Like a movie has made me cry before. I cried stupid shit like Wally and Up in the Air. Like why am I not crying at the Florida Project? I What's don't know, wrong man. with me? But you, it's my still. You, you, you should find a therapist who doesn't stick you up. Yeah. Stand you up. Huh? Damn it. Sorry, guys. What? Keep talking. Nothing. He just said chill, chill, movies about children. Can you children say it again? Weep. Movies about children usually make me weep. I don't know what type of movies make me weep. Movies about children for adults <laughs> usually make me weep. Wow. Guys, this is the theme of uh, the, tonight's episode. I was about <laughs> to mention a moment that made me cry the second time and not the first time, oh. but I'm also happy to keep on no, going here. Just that in what you say about movies about kids sort of trigger a lot of emotions inside of you and make you weep. But the first time we see Mooney in the bathtub, not alone, oh. not alone, not while her mother has John's in the other room, but when Haley is bathing her, mm-hmm. that really got me upset. Or not upset, but I cried out of beauty. And maybe right. because I knew that the rest of the times we were going to see Mooney in the bathtub were because... She's, she's working. Yeah. She's working. Um, I teared up at, um, the fireworks. Yeah, that's a sweet moment. That is really, really sweet. sweet. The only time And I it's beautifully remember. lit, too. And that it's, I mean, I, I was can't just, even remember. I really, and the there's so many good shots. The, the lighting is that there was no lighting apart from natural lighting, as far right. as I could tell. Um, because before the fireworks go off, it's almost an entirely black shot. There's some outlines of the three characters on the grass. Mm-hmm. But once the fireworks go up, just watching the light... Color the entire scene, unless they had like a backlight with gels that they were enhancing the shot with, which I don't think they were doing. It probably wouldn't do anything. It's so dark. It it the whole movie looks like it was shot with natural lights. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't know if that's true in the interior scenes anyway, but all the magic hour scenes, the scenes when they're hitchhiking, yeah, to the fireworks. That's beautiful. I was really Mm -hmm. struck by the light coming in on the side of Bobby's face at, at a magic hour scene. It might be. No, no, no. Sorry, it's not what I thought it was. But it it reminds me of the way that the light um, casts my shadow when I'm hiking, like, right around sunsets. And it was beautiful. That's all. It's a beautiful movie. film. Then when I welled up the most mm-hmm. was uh, the Dancing in the Rain shot. Yeah. At the end. Is that right? killed me yeah it's like right after breakfast i think it's right before breakfast oh it's right before breakfast it, it is the introduction to Haley the realizing the weight the gravity of the situation that she's in when and is how the, it's going to impact her when is the cows the, i cried at the cows oh the cows which is also in the rain it is yeah because it's not the same moment those different rain and moment. when mooney says to jancy that she took her on a safari ah mm. Which made me think about the artificial safari that Disney World offers in their Animal Kingdom, right. where they drive vans through giraffes that they're sticking in the middle of a swamp, but they've planted some tall grass, yeah. so it's to be forgiven. Just another way in which there's more imagination in Mooney's world with her friends than in the artificial landscape yeah. just over the fence. Yeah. I just <sighs> love the purity of childhood. Let's talk about our theme now, because I have some things to say. Yeah, please. Just about, I love when a kid in a movie is able to just like fully embrace their emotion in a way that an adult would never do. It means so much to me because I think that's the thing that everyone in life is trying to achieve and are unable to achieve. And I just, it, it hits me so hard every time. Yeah. Um, I've talked about this with a friend of mine lately and divorce of Mooney's circumstances, which are actually quite devastating and there's a lot to lose. But when you're a kid, the stakes seem so much higher mm-hmm. about the most minuscule things. Like if someone slights you at school or if you don't 
get asked to a dance or whatever. I mean, this is all very bullshitty. Right. But there's it feels a, like the world. You're being pushed off a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get older, you realize how much, all of those moments meant nothing. But when you're presented with moments that might mean a lot more in adulthood, you're conditioned at this point to protect yourself and to not become vulnerable. And so I disagree with you. It, it is beautiful, especially when a film will capture um, the relative stakes of a young protagonist. I'm moved by that. Does that make sense? It's so moving. I was moved. I love the purity of childhood. When she can't, she can barely catch her breath at the end when she runs to Jancy. And it's gut punch. It is a gut punch. More than the tears. Yeah. Yeah. Just that she can barely get a thought out. I don't even know how a child could, like, comprehend and, like, be able to deal with what she has to deal with. Well, there's the element of the social workers telling her a sanitized version of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then she realizes that that means that she is being ripped apart from her mother. Mm-hmm. Maybe she thought when they were saying, you're going to go somewhere else, she assumed they were both going somewhere. Right. Um, but as the uh, as the altercation develops between Haley and... I like when the social worker falls down the stairs. Sorry, I just... Oh, God. I mean, that made me jump <laughs> It's times. so rough. It's really rough. Anyway, I totally... Emotionally rough. Rough. It doesn't matter. But I, 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 I felt the same way. Um, yeah. That's all. I don't know. I just... So, in an attempt to transition us into what we're supposed to be talking about for the back half of this episode about I movies, think... about kids, for yes. adults, I will just say that when we came up with that idea, the first movie I thought of was The 400 Blows, specifically in relation to The Florida Project, because we watch how Antoine absorbs the world around him, specifically with his parents um, and their messy relationship, and how it influences his worldview. Which to me is so much of what's going on in the Florida Project and why Mooney is who she is and why she sees things the way that she sees them. Um, There's obviously a huge difference because Antoine lives in a much more comfortable lifestyle and the parents are more bickering about their relationship. But just that, you know, in the into the woods way that children are listening, seeing how that impacts your own worldview on your circumstances as a child. Right. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> great jumping off point. I I must say. Well, I mean, that that no, that thought just made me think of the movie um, What Maisie Knew, which I've never seen, but I know it's from the point of view of a child dealing with a divorce, which is. Similar. I haven't seen it either, but isn't it's Julianne Moore and Steve Coogan are the parents, right? I don't Steve know. Steve Coogan. Is yeah, this dad? is what I'm saying. I'm surprised I haven't. Seen is what it Maisie Steve Coogan? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Hold on. I thought it was. The it's vampire. Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes, it's Alexander Skarsgård. Why did I think it's Steve the Co- Emmy-winning vampire? That's right. And he wanted me for playing a vampire. Steve Coogan is in it. He's though. in it. Oh, oh, well, this is news to me then. I always thought that he played the dad. Clearly, well, I just said I know, maybe, maybe Alexander Skarsgård doesn't play the dad. Alexander Skarsgård might play the new lover. Can guys, we get confirmation on that? Guys, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. I'm looking I'm at a poster. Maybe we'll skip past talking about a movie that none of us have seen. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, it just made me think of whatever. Anyway, my first thought <laughs> with the theme was. <laughs> Now that I brought us to a dead end. <laughs> My first thought with the theme was Pixar films, which I personally love. And I think there's two variety of Pixar films. There's the variety that falls in line with their theme, which is about kids, but for adults. Actually, there's three. Four kids. <laughs> <laughs> four kids about kids. About kids for adults. And then there's some that somehow do both. And then I think there's one more, which is movies about cars. <laughs> which I refuse to discuss. <laughs> um, but for example, okay, so Inside Out. It's about a young girl, and it's for both. Because it's wonderful, the adventure aspect of it, the imagination of it. Kids will eat that up. But for adults, it's about a, a girl, a young girl, not having her emotions policed by her parents. Like... Oh, my sweet girl, why don't you smile anymore? That was just a pour of wine, ladies and gentlemen. Um, like, why don't you smile more? Like, telling young girls, oh, well, you should smile. That's that's such a important thing to, like, you know, address. Like, that mm-hmm. young girls shouldn't have to smile. They should be able to have full emotions. And when whatever, I don't know the name of the character in Inside Out, the young girl, Riley. Um, you knew the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, her name is Riley. Um, 
the first time she breaks down is such a beautiful moment. Am I the only fan of Inside Out in this room? No, I love it, but I've only seen it the one time. I I've love seen it, it twice. But I when I saw it the second time, I left 15 minutes in. But what? It, it wasn't because of the movie. It was because I was having a really bad day. But <laughs> It wasn't making your day better? You would think, especially because the first time I saw it as an adult watching a children's movie, it gave me permission to feel sad. Right. And, I mean, that message is also for children. Who are seeing this film? Like, right, correct. It's okay to be and to, sad. to your it's point, okay. it's Brandon, okay to be sad. That's the, but, the large theme of inside. But out. as an adult, when I'm having a day where all I can do is be blue, I mean, you that's, don't want that. That's it's a, it's a tough sit. Yeah, sure. No, no. Oh, no, no. no. I'm, I'm not relating it back to the second time I saw it. I'm saying that I often think of Inside Out, and that it's oh. okay to. And the hot dad. Feel sad. The dad hot, hot dad. And he's a bit of a jock. He's What's in, he doing? He's What's in happening? Soccer, What's his think, job? Why'd they move to San Francisco? <laughs> he's in tech. Oh, of he, course he's, he's in a tech. gentrifier, so I have he a hard time a having sympathy for what the parents. Ass hat. With um, baseball tees. He has a mustache. Fuck <laughs> it. <laughs> Sounds cool. <laughs> Hot dad. Um, but then there's stuff like uh, The Good Dinosaur, which, what the fuck's that movie? You know, that's for kids. Yeah, Good Dinosaur sucks. There's a couple sequences that I really like. It's got some cute moments. When it becomes psychedelic and when the narrative mm-hmm. is disrupted and, and plays more to emotional through lines than plot, right. that's when I really like that movie. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about, like, collectively ten minutes in, a, yeah. in an entire film. Like, the Toy Story trilogy plays to both. Wally plays, has something for kids because robots are cute and they beat Boop. Well, but it's also largely a movie for adults. Brandon, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the motion picture It, because yes. I have not seen it, Ben has not seen it, and this was a movie about kids that a lot of adults just went to go see. So, It is interesting because, kind of in the same vein as Stranger Things, it's it's really kind of a family affair. Like, yeah, there's moments that are, like, violent, but, like, it's a really nice coming-of-age story that I feel like middle schoolers, high schoolers, kids under the age of 17 would benefit a lot from. Like, it's... If it wasn't for Pennywise, like, chewing a child's arm, like... (laughs) And it it happens in the very beginning of the film. Yeah, it's like the first fucking... Does he have um, difficulty getting it off? Is it a gnaw? Or is it, it a rips break? right off. And then clean there's break. a later scene where he's just like gnawing on an arm like a chicken wing. It's <laughs> that amazing. That sounds great. Well, <laughs> aside from those like moments of like just gore, it's it's a PG-13 and it's I, it's a nice message. Is it really? Message. I mean, no, I think it's but, an R actually. I mean, it's an R, but like the theme it's is actually... except for the gore. Except yeah. for the gore. I've, I've done exactly what I didn't want to do <laughs> in this episode, which was... Be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, dude. I'm just trying to uh, listen. Um, it's basically a PG-13. I mean, I feel like kids under the age of 17 who will pirate it off the internet will get a lot out of it. Um, Because it, it's about empowering these kids, finding themselves, and finding the strength within to fight their demons away. Isn't half of the book about them as adults? And does yes. Does that happen in the movie? No, because there's going to be a sequel, which got greenlit, oh, and exactly it comes out right. in 2019. It'll be here before we know That's it. interesting. If and, we survive. Well, well, yeah, we're all dead. But I'm very curious, before we all die, is to see who they're going to cast as the adults. Mm. Wouldn't it be like a star-laden, like a murder on the Orient Express? <laughs> Well, I hope Johnny Depp is the first one to go. Oh, yeah, I throw him off the train before the movie even fucking starts. <laughs> fucking piece of shit. You need to get like an Allison Pill and Snowpiercer uh, walking into his carriage. Wonderful. Yeah. Just fucking gun him down. Why is Johnny I'm... Depp working? Does anyone know? Also, it's also, shocking because he's been a hit in like 10 years. Why is Alfonso Cuaron working with Casey Affleck? I don't know, he shouldn't be. Because men are bad. <laughs> oh, right. Thank you for reminding All of me. Them. Thank you for reminding me. It makes me want to drop down Ghost Story on my top 10 of the year because I. But he's under a sheet. It's, he's under a sheet. It's not even, even him. Even it's still, not even him. It's literally not him. No, but I. He's oh, because you're under guessing that it's. Oh, I thought it's a puppeteer. Is it really? Yeah. I think it could be David Lowry. Well, because of that Instagram shot where he's yeah, holding where the he's, viewfinder uh-huh. or whatever the fuck that he's thing is holding called. the camera or whatever. Yeah, I don't it's know. not the camera. It's not it's the that camera. I think it's a puppeteer. Cool. I'd be into that. I was just going to say that I definitely devalue a ghost story in my head because Casey I, Affleck. I, I can't Casey because Affleck. of Rooney. 
Like, I have to value well, I'm not saying that it's me. disposable. I'm just saying that I, I... I do find... And I loved that movie, but because it was all through his point of right. view, even if he's under a sheet, right. I was thinking about what like, a piece of shit he is. I dissociated yeah. the ghost character yeah, from I mean, the physical presence of Casey Affleck. Me too. And that certainly feeds into the film's themes. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because we also saw a ghost story... Oh, well, well, no. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. So I want to... Redacted. Yeah, <laughs> cut that out. So I want to bring us back to topic. I think Sorry, something we've learned I fell off. through a couple of episodes we've recorded so far... Is that we have to go back to topic? No, I mean, there's nothing wrong with tangents, but there's an interesting conversation we had about movies about kids for adults. So... Can we talk about E.T. the Extraterrestrial? Be yes, happy to. Please. And I didn't finish my sentence, but I swear to God I was trying to shepherd you to E.T. Thank you. Um, well... Aside from the fact that it's simply the greatest movie ever made, and you think that? No, but it is. It is the movie. <laughs> well, you just said that. <laughs> well, Ben says a lot. <laughs> it is the movie I would take with me with me to a desert island. Got it. Fair. Um, it's the movie that's nearest and dearest to my heart, and I think it is probably the single most universal story that has ever been told on film. Um, because we are watching a little boy. For the first time, see that the adults are wrong. And I think that really ties into the Florida Project. Because Mm -hmm. he knows in his heart that E.T. is a good creature and is a good person. And we should love him and help him get home. And everyone around him is trying to do tests on E.T. and to demonize him. And he has to look in the face of everyone that he has thought for his entire life was not wrong or bad or anything, he has to be like, I know better than you, and every single person in the history of the world has gone through that. Totally. And it makes me cry every time I think about it. I would think yeah. that in, in this line you're drawing between the two, that Sean Baker is Elliot. Oh. Interesting. <laughs> um, Go I, on, though. Go on. Elaborate. Sure. <laughs> uh, it's been, I mean, Sean Baker's whole career is about looking at marginalized people that most Americans have an idea of who they are based on what they do for work, how they identify, what they look like. Mm-hmm. Porn stars, trans people, sex workers. And what Newt Gingrich, in the case of the Florida Project, would call welfare queens, mm-hmm. right? And he is willing to deny that and express a fully fleshed characterization of these people that speaks to their core humanity. It's that power of empathy, right? And that's so much of Elliot and E.T. The reason why he abandons the um, predominating thought around this unknown alien is that because he sees his heart. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to aliens, that's a, all of those groups that I just described that Baker's interested in capturing, that's where his focus lies. Yeah. You draw this line between Sean Baker as Elliot and when E.T. is in pain and dies, Elliot is sick. Like, physically, there's a there's an intense physical connection between the two. And I just think that's a really beautiful image about how Sean Baker feels about these people that so many people write off. In that the, they're people. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. he hurts Full stop. when they hurt. Yeah, and he sees their pain, and I just I think that's very beautiful. I couldn't agree more. I need to see Starlet. So bad. Watch it tonight. I think it's on Netflix. What else are you doing? I'm watching Poison because I have a lot of Todd Haynes homework to oh, do. Fuck. Before I love Poison. Poison is so good. I was going to watch Poison. Yeah, next episode. Before we'll, our next episode. We'll decide which one of us is each section of the trip deck, like we did at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> so, oh, that's so I, good. I was going to watch Poison on the plane, but I didn't want to startle anyone. Well, when Back when I was still watching The Walking Dead, um, this is like season four, I guess, and The Walking Dead is garbage. You, last you got until, deep in. You lasted yeah. until four? I gave up halfway through two. Well, I gave up, my like, college roommate and I... <laughs> my college roommate and I both fell off after season three, but we weren't seeing much of each other because our schedules didn't line up. So we would get together, get like a really nice bottle of like a Rhone blend from Silver Lake Wine, and watch like four episodes of Walking Dead together to That's catch nice. up 
but talk over it the entire time oh, and just okay. talk about how poor the decisions they were making were. Oh, good. But anyway, I watched an episode of The Walking Dead on the plane one time, and it opened with like cannibals Ugh. killing people. Mm-hmm. And I've never closed a laptop screen <laughs> so quickly. I was even, you know, I was when I'm on a plane, I was watching stuff on my phone, and I was watching. Big Mouth, which is this new Netflix anime series, which I fell in love with during my flight. And even watching that on my little phone, I like brought my backpack up, backpack up so I could shield it from the the, <laughs> the older woman watching um, Beatrice at dinner, which I thought was a great selection. And then the person in front of me was also watching Big Little Lies, which I thought was a another great selection. But I was like shielding it because there's like bouncing dicks and yeah. like a lot of ejaculation and severed heads getting fucked. It was just like, but the but the. <laughs> The, uh, Brandon, who severed head? You were telling me before we put on mic. Will you remind before me? Before we his... put this on mic, rather. Oh, will you um, remind me his name? Uh, that would be Garrison Keeler. So oh, they decapitate fuck. Garrison Keeler, and the hormone monster skull fucks him and talks about it a lot. Oh my god! The show is brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Watching, they watching... were just looking for a prairie home companion. What's interesting oh. about Big Mouth, this has, I mean, it's kind of has to do with our theme because it's a show about kids going through puberty, but it's very much for adults because someone's getting skull fucked, decapitated head. Yeah, because no most less. adults do that. <laughs> very adult. Um, but what was interesting watching um, Big Mouth was it's the first show that um, skewers the skewers shows specifically. Let me. How am I going to phrase this? It skewers Netflix specific shows. Like at the end of the credits of one episode, it it goes to that screen that like like the next episode is mm-hmm. going to air. But then a character bursts through and says like, "What are you going to do? Keep watching?" And it's like that was such a meta. And there's multiple numerous times that happens like a character turns to the camera and says what you fucker on the elliptical binging the shit out of this what are you gonna do oh that would upset me because you're the person on the elliptical i'm an elliptical watcher (laughs) of certain shows i deem like jim do you not like art to call you out Mm -mm. so (laughs) so i thought that was interesting i wonder if big mouth is the first show to really do that and and like one of the kids gets netflix taken away as a punishment and the kid turns to the camera and is like, what am I going to do without Netflix? And, like, makes it, like, such an... I thought it was so, like, a little much, but also brilliant. I am inclined to be cynical about that. Okay, but fair. I, it, I, that's what hold I on, hold on. But it uh-huh. makes me think about uh-huh. the way that the Lego movie disrupted expectations by taking a corporate product and flipping it on its head by making the entire movie about how we are ruled by corporations, brands, and Trumpian-type charismatic politicians, or just mm. business leaders, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I got out of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I like I said, that I'm inclined to be like, fuck you for even saying Netflix, but I haven't seen it, so I will give it the benefit of the doubt, and it makes me think of like... There's this also... There's this moment, I'm just going to keep talking about the show that neither of you have seen. Um, <laughs> it would be really great if you would just hold on to the mic for a while. <laughs> keep Take it away from us. Live it. Live your life. Um... They, there's this moment where there's, it's also very sex positive and like this amazing show. I'm just going to keep tooting its horn. Um, this guy does this thing called the head push and where, uh, with Garrison Keillor. No, 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 no. That's a different thing. But this, this guy at this party is hooking up with a girl and he, she, he pushes her head into his crotch, like give me a blowjob. And she says no. And he does it again. So they reference it. Like he did the head push. And then the character's like, what's a head push? They cut to Tom, was it Tom's Diner in Seinfeld? And they put they put the characters in a Seinfeld booth and they said like, yeah, and everyone everyone is playing their role. The Elaine's there, the George's there, the Kramer skids in. The episode ends how a Seinfeld episode ends and it is so pitch perfect. I wanted to, I wanted to turn to the woman watching Beatrice at dinner and be like, put my headphones in, you need to watch this. This is brilliant. <laughs> Um, I was going to say that sounds a lot like the way that Seinfeld would coin a term like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. what they were doing. Yeah, they were like, we're Kirby enthusiasm. What's a head put? Oh, yeah. The head... And then they do it again. Like, what's, oh, what's this term? What's a yeah. mons push, which is when you push the upper, upper genital area into someone when you're getting intimate. When we're looking to coin a fellatio phrase, we know who to get on the horn. Exactly. Nice callback. 
Also, anyway, whatever. All right, I'm done talking about Big Mouth. But it does tie into our theme. But also, like a movie, as you mentioned, also ties into our theme. That's right. But I, it's not I, about kids. It's but not a, for adults. It works for both audiences. It yeah. works for adults because it's such an Occupy Wall Street uh, argument that has become so mainstream because we all see um, income disparity, the way that monopolies are ruining our lives, <laughs> um, whether it's an airline or a bank, that you, as an adult, you can't help but watch the Lego movie and feel that it's speaking to totally. that type but of message. kids can also, like, oh my god, that cat's pooping rainbows. You know, it's like, sure. That happens, I think. I haven't seen it. Oh, um, it's really good. I've... You probably wouldn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Do I like anything? No. I like, like, six movies. You only like uh... Batman vs. Superman. I do like Batman vs. Superman. We're okay, so I'm just going to interrupt that train of thoughts. <laughs> every, and... episode, every episode, I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we done? Is there anything else to say? Well, I was going to say exactly that. Is there anything else we want to say? Well, there is something I want to say, which I was going to say maybe 20 minutes ago. But well, is when I went on my big mouth tangent. Is there a defining characteristic of a movie that is made for adults but is about children? Yes. Where you know that it's speaking to one audience versus the other. Yeah, I think... I think Because the Florida Project is so apparent in that way. It's not... Kids probably shouldn't watch this movie. Right. Well, obviously there's the thing of, like, adult content happening, like... That's a whole. Swearing. That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole... Right? But, but, but... I, to and what, in my to, own sort of puritanical way, that's what I meant. But... But, like, to what you're mo- saying, I think themes... There's themes that... Adults connect with that kids that goes over their head. Mm-hmm. If that, is that what you mean? No, I just mean um, what makes a movie not for kids, even when they are the subject matter. Right. Oh. Like I would say, ET plays both audiences. Yes. Right? Yes. But then, like Beasts of the Southern Wild, which is another movie I considered discussing tonight, and we just didn't get to it. But it is. That is a movie not for children. Even right. though it also has a supernatural element the way that E.T. does. And I find the two films to be quite similar. Um, it, it deals with things... There's just a playfulness to what Spielberg does. And Spielberg is such a, a childlike spirit himself. And he connects with children on such a deep, intimate level that he can't help but make a movie about a child for a child. Whereas, I don't know that Ben Zeitlin or Sean Baker can. We haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. We I haven't seen anything else from Ben Zeitlin, it's right? It's true. What is he doing five years on? I think he is working on something right well, now. Well, let's hope. Because but we I certainly haven't, but we haven't seen it. I checked no. his IMDb and it looked pretty blank. We need something. Oh, well, my bad. I would well, love I to see No, no, I mean, actually, up. my bad. I, I would... Is Wonder... Uh, sorry, not to bring up Wondershark because we're yeah. talking about it all next week. But is it for kids? No. It's PG. I would say it plays to both. Okay. That's another movie that plays to both. There are things about loss that I don't know that a child can understand, but there is a lot that is there for children, for sure. Mm. So when we initially introduced this theme, I immediately thought of Terrence Malick and movies like The Tree of Life and Days of Heaven because to varying degrees they're told from a child's point of view, especially Days of Heaven. And they... I mean, especially Days of Heaven, really grapples with um, emotional complications between lovers, between folks who lose their jobs because they murder people at a steel factory. <laughs> um, but filtered. Have you seen it, Brandon? I still have your Criterion DVD. I forgot I even owned. Oh that. my God! You've never seen it. I saw Badlands. At the Egyptian, it's not it, the same. It was a, not at all. It was let me finish. It's much better. Let me finish. It was a double with Days of Heaven. I was too tired and hungry. I got Taco Bell and went to bed. Okay. I am <laughs> so upset right now. I have his DVD. Watch City. it now. Okay. Leave the podcast. <laughs> it's ninety minutes. Right. It's a tight ninety. Thank you so much. This is that's it for Holy me. Shit. I'm going to home to watch. All this. to say that Malik filters universal <laughs> truths <laughs> about uh, humanity, and I guess specifically to our conversation, adults through the focal point of a child. And I'm so thrilled you took this off uh, off topic because I wouldn't have been able to <laughs> actually dig into this. In an I will watch way. Days of Heaven. I, 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 it's, and it's one of the most beautiful I told you I like that. Days of Heaven is the best cinematography. I mean, 
Trust me, I know all these things about this movie. I just haven't seen it. Yet. <laughs> it's gorgeous. And the late Sam Shepard is stunningly beautiful. Heartbreaking too. And heartbreaking. How old is he in it? Not old. Late twenties, early thirties. Mm. I mean, he's already a playwright at this ben, point. Ben, I yeah. told you I left the double early, and you supported my choice to get Taco Bell. So I don't know he why was you like are thirty-five. Oh, wow! Yeah, he's got a youthful face. He's born in forty, and he's got an old soul. Yeah. Why? Well, so. I mean... Boys, I am being nailed to the cross here. Is that okay to say? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I think we should wrap it up. I, I brought up, I brought up <laughs> biblical imagery earlier. I think um, I think we should wrap it up too. Once again, we have somewhat talked about what we wanted to. Talk about. No, I think we definitely have. Okay, this has been movies IMO. I'm leading, right? I'm yeah. leading this one, you fuckers. The gavel has fallen. This is movies IMO. I'm Brandon Kirby. At BK Kirby on the Twat Machine. I'm Ben Emby. You can find me at Real Todd Haynes on Twitter. I'm Daniel Crook, and I try not to define myself against my own social media personality, but you can find me at, at Daniel Crook with three O's. I'm sorry I said the word twat. It was really funny. I love <laughs> to twat. Love to twit and twat. Okay, good night. Thank you, everyone. Oh, our first episode. Is live. We can in talk the world. about that in the intro. Oh, we already recorded the introduction. No, no we, didn't. we didn't. Oh, I, I just made it seem like an intro. All right, good night, everyone. We're Thank you. Cut that part. Are we cutting? Yeah, we're gonna record an official intro, and then I'm yeah. just gonna start like when we're actually talking about the floor. Yeah. Project. All right, I'm pressing stop. Okay. <laughs> the winner is Jane okay, Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much.